1: Good morning, I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Here are the stories we're following today. Donald Trump's former chief of
2: staff, Mark Meadows, has been granted immunity in the special counsel investigation, the January 6th probe. Ed Baxter has that story and the rest of the global news from the 960
3: newsroom in San Francisco. Ed? All right. Thank you, Brian. Meadows was Trump's final chief of staff, and this means he will not be prosecuted. Sources say before the grand jury he repeatedly told Trump that the claims of election fraud were baseless. Meadows is a central player in the investigation by Smith investigating the claims that Trump and his allies sought to overturn the election. Now, there is more Trump trial news. We'll get there in just a couple of minutes. The House Speakership has been thrown into more disarray. That was quick. Number three, down and out. Tom Emmer has dropped his bid for speaker. Early in the day, he reportedly was 26 votes short as well. Donald Trump came in in opposition. Now, former House Speaker speaker says a core problem is not being addressed.
4: If you don't deal with the consequences of the eight who worked with all the Democrats to put it in here, putting a new person up each time, we're going to be in the same place we were before. Yeah,
3: that, of course, is a Kevin McCarthy. So what you have within the party is the Trump supporters who will not vote for anybody who voted to certify the 2020 Electoral College and those who didn't. And Bloomberg's Wendy Benjaminson says the effort to get the Democrats to get a speaker elected does not seem that will happen.
0: What's in it for Democrats at this point to join the fight or to try to solve the fight for the republicans
1: there's an old political adage you know that when your enemy is drowning throw him an anchor and or just watch and i think at this point i mean the the scroll of
0: concessions that republicans would have to make to democrats to get them on board right now is impossibly long.
3: So the mess is still a mess. UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres says Israel needs to pull back from its bombing campaign, says while Hamas attacks are unwarranted. It is important to also recognize the attacks by Hamas did not happen in a vacuum. The Palestinian people have been subjected
0: to 56 years of suffocating occupation.
3: Meanwhile, Israeli ambassador to the UN, Gilad Erdan, says Guterres needs to step down.
0: Mr. Secretary General, the UN was established to prevent atrocities, to prevent such atrocities like the barbaric atrocities that Hamas committed, but the UN is failing.
3: Israel's foreign minister Eli Cohen has canceled today's meetings with Guterres. While the air attacks persist, their efforts by the U.S. and other Israeli allies to try everything before going in, Bloomberg's Oliver Crook in Tel Aviv says today, even... ...dropping flyers on Gaza, saying basically that if you have any information with phone numbers and, all this, and this sort of thing about where hostages may be being held, offering money, saying that there will be safe passage, and trying to ensure the safety of those who basically have any information on where these hostages are being held within Gaza. And the Pentagon is sending... Israel, the U.S. Army's two batteries of Iron Dome radar command post and interceptors to boost the nation's defense. A Bloomberg source says it isn't known how soon or when at this point. Uh, former Trump fixer Michael Cohen on the stand today in the New York Civil suit against Trump valuations. Cohen testifying that he followed Trump's orders, and as did the rest of the team. Trump now going into court. He's a
4: liar, as
2: you know. He's a, a serves the
3: And Cohen? This
5: is not about Donald Trump versus Michael Cohen or Michael Cohen versus Donald Trump. This is about accountability.
3: The judge will make the determination in the suit. Global News 24 hours a day and whenever you want it with Bloomberg News Now. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter and this is Bloomberg. Brian? Ed, thank you. I'm Brian Curtis, along with Doug Krisner. And we look now at some of the top
2: business stories of the hour. Alphabet reported third quarter revenue and profit from its cloud business that missed analyst estimates. And this raises some concerns as investors were looking to the cloud to take the lead on company growth. Alphabet is the third largest player in the cloud market after Amazon and Microsoft. We hear now from Bloomberg's Mandeep Singh. Cloud, a little bit of a letdown, but not surprised given, you know, everyone right now is talking about generative AI mm-hmm. and they are kind of uh, making their 2024 plans. It hasn't really translated into cloud revenue. Mandeep Singh, the cloud results marred an otherwise healthy report. Third quarter sales and profit beat analyst expectations. Alphabet shares down around about six and a half percent in late
1: trading. We also heard from Microsoft after the bell. The company reported first quarter revenue rose 13%. So we're talking top line now of $56.5 billion. That was above estimates, and it represents Microsoft's strongest sales gain in six quarters. The company's new artificial intelligence products seem to be prompting corporate customers to spend. Here's James Kakmak. He is tech analyst at Clockwise Capital. Yeah, I mean the big thing there is that you continue to see resilience on the cloud side um, while the legacy parts of their business anniversary the 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 tougher comps and and come out stronger so and at the same time while being able to manage the bottom line and obviously it's a juggernaut it's 10 percent you know of the queues and uh, so it's a big weight important stock for the market Um, but the main thing is that growth uh, the growth sector factor continues to be where the money will likely continue to flow and coming out of the value area. James Kakmak there from Clockwise Capital. Brian, right now I've got shares in Microsoft up three and a half percent in late trading. Yeah, actually did quite well uh, in after hours and going the other direction uh, from Google. Well, Texas
2: Instruments was also out with its report. It had a disappointing revenue forecast
1: for the third quarter. The story from Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet. It indicates that demand remains sluggish for a broad range of electronic components, including industrial equipment. TI said revenue in the fourth quarter will be $3.93 to $4.27 billion. Now that compares with an average analyst estimate of $4.49 billion. The outlook bodes poorly for a chip industry that is trying to recover from a punishing slowdown. Texas Instruments has the broadest list of customers in the semiconductor industry, making its four cast a bellwether for demand across the economy. In New York, Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg Radio. We go to Snap And we're
2: seeing shares down 4.8% in late trading.
1: Pardon me. We go to Snap Next. Uh, the company returned to revenue growth for the third quarter after two periods of declines. The company has spent much of the year working to revamp its ad business for its Snapchat app. Already that app has more than 5 million subscribers. Separately, Snap said it's seen a large number of brand-focused Ad campaigns paused during the third quarter after the start of the Israel-Hamas war, and it's now expecting this delay to continue into the fourth quarter. Right now, shares in snap little changed in late U.S. trading. Well, China is stepping up support
2: for the economy with massive debt issuance. Bloomberg's Joanne Wong has the story from Hong Kong. China's legislature approved a plan to raise the fiscal deficit ratio for 2023 to about 3.8% of GDP. Xinhua said the plan would include issuing additional sovereign debt worth $137 billion in the fourth quarter. The additional debt would be used to support disaster relief and construction. China has rarely adjusted its budget mid-year. The last time was in 2008 in the aftermath of the Sichuan earthquake. The latest budget revision shows that top leaders are concerned about China's economic outlook. Just yesterday, President Xi Jinping made what sought to be his first ever visit
0: to the central bank since he became president. In Hong Kong, I'm Joanne Wong Bloomberg Radio. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc.
2: Again, Brian Curtis and Doug Krisner, and this is Bloomberg. Our guest is Eric Wasson, Bloomberg congressional reporter, who's right outside the room where they are strategizing on what comes next. Eric, Eric, thanks very much. Uh, so this is, um, this is really difficult for Republicans, but the House Majority Whip, Tom Emmer, down, out of the race. Uh, it's the third uh, speaker designee that has sort of tumbled out of this. Uh, I want to know procedurally, setting aside the embarrassment of all of this for the moment, proceed. Usually, what comes next?
5: Well, right now they're meeting in what's called a candidates' forum. Uh, according to the House Republican rules, every time they run for uh, have a speaker race, they've got to meet in a candidates' former, forum where they have a chance to give speeches and then also uh, answer questions from the members. Uh, this uh, happened uh, last night where Emmer and others answered questions and then there were the votes to say. Emmer won. And then, you know, after uh, 26 Republicans came out against uh, Emmer and Trump, went on Truth Social to really. Uh, bash him, uh, he dropped out. So now we're back to the candidates' forum. Uh, there's a bunch of candidates who have dr- uh, jumped in again, uh, all from the South, I'd noted, note, all all men, and uh, they are now uh, you know presenting their case to the, uh, to the conference.
1: It appears as though, according to their aides, Representative Kevin Hearn of Oklahoma and Mike Johnson of Louisiana are two of the prime candidates now seeking speakership. Is this likely what it's going to come down to, one of these two gentlemen?
5: You know, they I would say Johnson's probably the front-runner. He got the most uh, votes, 97 votes, uh, when he was up up against Emmer. But, you know, Hearn is a strong candidate. He's the Republican Study Committee chairman. That's the largest caucus in the Republican Party. You know, conservative, but not as conservative as the House Freedom Caucus, which are really the ultra-conservatives. Uh, that, that group is running two people, uh, Mark Green of Tennessee and also Byron Donalds of Florida, who ran before, to kind of splits their vote a little bit. There's a couple of surprise entrances into the race. Chuck Fleischman of Tennessee, he's an appropriator, energy uh, spending panel chairman. Uh, you know, he would sort of probably be representing the appropriations, more traditional establishment view. Uh, you know, he's jumped in. And then Roger Williams of Texas, uh, also a very a minor figure in the House, but someone that could you know, small business committee uh, person, uh, you know, who could potentially, again, emerge as a consensus candidate. Everyone else uh, deadlock.
2: How facetious is it to just say, why don't they just ask Donald Trump who he wants in there?
5: You know, I think uh, Trump will probably stay out of this. He had a personal animosity towards Emmer because Emmer wouldn't vote to overturn the election. There were other, uh, you know, spats over the years. Uh, Emmer also had voted to basically preserve uh, gay marriage rights, something that conservatives didn't forgive him for. Uh, You know, I don't All the candidates that are in there now all voted uh, with Trump to overturn the election. So I don't think he's really going to care too much between them or, or to weigh in. I mean, I could be wrong. Uh, I don't see him generate any of these candidates generate the same opposition that Emmer did in Trump world.
1: One of the things that we're trying to understand vis-a-vis the market is whether Treasury market in particular is concerned about uh, moving up against a deadline uh, for funding that would necessitate a government shutdown. Is that being talked about? Is is the GOP feeling any pressure to find a speaker quickly?
5: Definitely the, the moderates, you know, we hear that, uh, them saying, you know, Kelly Armstrong, a moderate from North Dakota, said, it's all about avoiding a shutdown. That's the real deadline here, you know, getting up against that November 18th deadline. When Congress has to act, it will act, uh, but it will dither, procrastinate, in fight until that very moment. You know, this is this is decision by committee. Uh, in some ways, that's how democracy works. But this is particularly egregious and disorganized compared to my 15 years of here uh, watching this. Uh, you know, they really need to get this act together as a prelude. To figuring out how to meet that deadline.
2: Uh, how much power does the speaker pro tem Patrick McHenry have at the moment?
5: You know, it's a matter of controversy. Kevin McCarthy, the former speaker, was just out here saying he already has the power. He should just start acting. McHenry has interpreted that he doesn't. And interestingly, uh, you know, his actions so far, uh, you know, the way he's he's acted has sort of set a precedent. And if they try to force it, how he decides will set a precedent in the rules as to exactly how much power he has. So they could, Simply elect him speaker pro tem. There has been that long history of of temporary speakers. You know, for example, when Newt Gingrich went out of town in 1996, the Dave Murphy Brown in Hollywood, they had one. Uh, You know, she signed a big telecom law. This has happened before, uh, but he's uh, you know been reluctant to embrace this idea. And and others felt like they need the you know the lack of, of an empowered speaker pro tem to get this real speaker vote going. The longer this drags out, the more that becomes a possibility.
1: Eric, what are we hearing from the Democrats at this time?
5: You know, Democrats have indicated, including Dean Phillips of Minnesota, that he might be willing to support or help out Tom Emmer, uh, you know, if they, in exchange for some concessions, like funding the government at, at sort of negotiated levels. You know, th- that was uh, met with some resistance from other Democrats. Uh, they, they would be willing to do some deal. It's not quite power sharing. They realize that's probably unrealistic given the U.S. system. But more, you know, more ability to bring their priorities to the floor for up or down vote. Uh, But they have not been given any sort of deal on that. So they're sort of waiting, saying, you know, we'll help out, but we need to get something for this. And it could come to that. But I think that's probably the third most likely option after the House Republicans finally get this person or McHenry getting some kind of temporary power to move a spending bill.
2: And and what are the sorts of, of deals that are happening on the Republican side?
5: You know, I think it's really there's no deals right now. I mean, there could be deals. If we see a nominee come out in voting as soon as tonight uh, that doesn't have the full t- 217, he could go the same route of trying to get sort of, you know, backroom deals that Jordan did. Uh, you know, Jim Jordan had more of a personal uh, problem or a legacy with some of the more mainstream Republicans having spent years calling them Republicans in name only and pointing out their flaws. Some of these uh, other men in there, like Mike Johnson and Kevin Hart, don't really have that history. Uh, they Someone described them as, you know, the same menu but different waiter. They just don't have that antagonistic history, so they might be able to pull it off where Jordan didn't. But I see it sort of potentially going down that that road in the next couple of days.
1: Very quickly, Eric, do you have a timeline for what the procedure will be going forward?
5: Well, they're having this candidate forum now, and then after that, uh, some members are saying they're going to vote tonight. Um, Maybe they're just too exhausted to do that. Uh, But we have seen before, uh, especially it's very common on the Senate side, that Congress We'll go into the midnight hours to resolve things, hoping that exhaustion wears down people. So I'm not ruling that out. It could be a late night here on Capitol Hill.
2: This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, your morning brief on the stories making news from Hong Kong to Singapore and Wall Street.
1: Look for us on your podcast feed every day on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcast.
2: You can also listen live each day on Bloomberg 1130 in New York. Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco.
1: Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast-to-coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119,
2: the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Brian Curtis.
1: And I'm Doug Krisner. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia.